0: George Brockler back with you here, hour two of four on the George Show 710 KNUS. At 10 o'clock, we uh, shifted over to the national programming that we have here. Charlie Kirk, Dennis Prager, Seb Gorka, Brandon Tatum. And honestly, after that, I really, I don't know because I'm thinking about going to bed. Uh, And then Billy and I will be back here tomorrow and every day this week from 6 to 10 a.m. Uh, joining us right now on the VIP line, friend of mine, friend of the show, and someone who has a brand new title. It's Rose Puglisi. Uh, Representative Puglisi, thanks for joining us.
1: Well, thank you, George. Good morning. Good
0: morning. Tell us about your new title.
1: Um, so I was elected by my caucus, majority of my caucus, to be the um, minority leader. So kind of dropping the assistant and just being the minority leader now.
0: Now, probably not the way you had anticipated or hoped becoming the minority leader, but uh, here it is.
1: I agree. Um, Mike Lynch is a good man, and I am ready to take over and kind of um, help push our caucus forward and our priorities forward for this legislative session.
0: I'm going to presume that in the one vote that was taken last week that you had voted not to no confidence i don't know what the word is but uh, you had voted against the vote of no confidence on mike
1: you know we just need to move forward at this point i don't i don't want to rehash everything that happened last week i think the caucus has new leadership and we're going to continue to go into this session um, talking about the issues that are important to people, like affordability and being able to actually live in Colorado.
0: What, uh, what's this reset look like in terms of priorities? Is this the same set of goals and bills and stuff that um, you guys had under, under Mike? or have you, Do you have a different priority, a different shift, uh, or is it the exact same thing?
1: No, I think the priorities for our caucus remain the same. Um, we are dedicated to talking about affordability, um, affordable and attainable housing, and what that really looks like, making sure that all areas of the state are actually being represented in their perspectives. Um, obviously, education is really important, parental rights and parental choice, um, and then public safety, which um, we've got such great members of our caucus who are dedicated to making sure that our communities really have the tools they need to be safe.
0: Can we talk about each of those things? What is it that uh, 19 of 65, and again, you guys are constantly fighting an uphill battle, but what is it that you're hopeful of being able to advance by way of bringing costs down and stuff like that? And in your announcement, you announced the uh, price of groceries, property taxes to rise with really no response at all from the Democrat-controlled legislature and all that other stuff. What is it you're hopeful of?
1: I will say, you know, since the failure of Proposition HH, which um, thanks to you and all of your listeners who really um, engaged on the grassroots level to make that happen, I think the conversations have shifted. Um, we'll see whether it translates into actual legislation that helps the people of Colorado. But the conversations are happening. So bipartisan conversations around what the long term and sustainable solution on property taxes, um, what is affordable, and I don't like to say affordable, Um, without saying attainable, because affordable housing in one area is very different. Douglas County is very different than Prowers County. Um, And so making sure we recognize that those differences exist and um, pushing forward policies that actually help. But this recognition by the state that needs to happen, that we will continue to beat the drum on, which is the regulations that have been put in place by the state, is really what's affecting the affordability and attainability of housing, And so trying to roll back some of those regulations, at least having those conversations, is really important. And they are starting to
0: happen. How do we do that? Like with the rolling back the the regulations, you said, hey, we've started these conversations. Does it require legislative action to roll those back? Or is it something that the executive branch, much like we see with the federal uh, government, is there a way that the executive branch can somehow move to unroll some of those rules? Or is it all statutory changes?
1: No, these would be statutory changes. So there will be different different pieces of legislation by both um, Republicans in the House and the Senate that are moving forward that we're trying to get bipartisan support around to really um, start addressing some of these issues.
0: Is there specific legislation that you guys have offered so far that you think helps to accomplish that?
1: Um, Well, for one, uh, Representative Bottoms, Senator Kirkmeyer, and I have a bill to um, reduce the income tax rate to 4%. That is something the governor himself talked about in the debate on Proposition HH. And um, all he needs to do is get 20 Democrats to come on board and we can make that happen for the people of Colorado. So um, I am hopeful that he will um, be the leader of his party and make that happen.
0: You, You expect that?
1: Um, I know that there are definitely some stronger conversations happening than I would have anticipated.
0: Um, Some of the other stuff you had referenced, too, was uh, public safety. What are the Republican efforts in the House to try to address public safety?
1: Um, I know that there are definitely some bills coming forward. I believe there's a truth in sentencing sentencing bill coming forward. Um, You know, public safety isn't my strongest area. We've got such great um, leadership Representative Lynch, uh, Representative Evans, Representative Armagost, And so they can delve into those issues a little bit better than I can. But um, we've got such great members of our caucus who are having conversations across party lines to see if we can really um, make Colorado a safer place, which is what the governor said he wants to accomplish. So let's help him accomplish that
0: goal. What specific bills do you have that you're running?
1: Um, so the income tax Income tax um, rate reduction is a big one for me. I have pulled a title on it, just as property taxes right now, um, because there's a few different solutions on the table that um, Senator Pelton and Senator Kirkmeyer and I are talking with the other side about. Really want to try, there really does seem, at least on the property tax conversation, to be a willingness to move forward some bipartisan legislation. So. Um, we are having some great constructive talks around that. The property tax task force is still meeting as well. Um, and then I do a lot in the child welfare space, trying to keep our children and families safe. I have a kinship bill that will um, help families who take in um, kin uh, children to make sure that they are getting some resources that they, weren't, they didn't have access to before. Um, So really just making sure our families are stronger, our kids are safer. So that's the type of legislation that I generally push forward
0: Uh, in terms. And we're talking with Rose Puglisi, newly minted Colorado House minority leader. By the way, does that get you access to a better bathroom or parking space or something more pay something?
1: um No parking space or bathroom. I think there's a little bit of extra per diem, but um, you know, you know George as well as I do. We don't um, oh run for God. office for the money. You so, can't survive
0: um... <laughs> on the legislator pay, Rose. I, I don't know how you yeah. do it to begin with. Okay. Um, but there really ought to be a special leadership bathroom that just you and the speaker <laughs> have. You know what I mean? Some kind of, and maybe each a red stall, blue stall. Kind of a thing. I don't know. It's just a thought, nonetheless. Sure. Um, sure. When you look at the legislature so far, this general assembly, the, this session, how many days do we have left? Are we under a hundred already?
1: Um, I haven't been counting, although I probably should, but I I think we're probably just under a hundred.
0: What have you seen from your colleagues across the way? And here's where I get a little bit concerned about asking you that now that you're in this role, not that you weren't even as the assistant, but now that you're in this role, do you feel at all some reluctance to want to take on the, the Dems on the other side out of fear that, well, then it's going to screw us up on our ability to work some sort of bipartisan thing.
1: No, I mean, obviously, pushing forward our caucus priorities is the priority for me. And so in whatever way the caucus feels like we need to move forward, we will make those decisions together. Um, That's the way we will move forward. So obviously, bipartisan legislation is important to me because I really do think it is the best legislation to help the people of Colorado and we will continue to move in that direction.
0: What have you seen so far out of the folks on the other side?
1: Um I mean, obviously, this uh, new position is very new, um, and so right now, I think that there's a lot of openings for conversation and a willingness to work together. Um, but it's still early in session, and I think we've got some very big, very controversial bills coming
0: can Can you give us some sort of idea of what you've heard, what you're what you're putting us on notice about?
1: Um, obviously, you know, there's been a lot of conversations around additional gun legislation, expansion of red flag, um, some of those bills that'll be coming forward. That will be very controversial for our caucus. Um, I do hear that there is a bill to eliminate charter schools, which is a huge issue. Yes. Yes. So I have not seen it, but that is uh, the rumor on the street. And I have the largest charter schools in my district, um, in El Paso County. And, um, you know, I think it's really important that we protect parental rights and and school choice because we all know that our kids learn differently. Um, what's good for my daughter is not good for my son. And so giving that power to parents is incredibly important. So that'll definitely be one to watch for. The,
0: The gun ones that you've heard about, what have you heard so far? I mean, I've seen some things on social media, but I'm not in it like you are.
1: Um, so what I've heard again, not seen, is um, an expansion of red flag.
0: Whoa, 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 who, who can it be expanded to now, Rose? Like people in uh, adjoining states, people that have interacted with you on social media. I mean, how can they expand it more than giving it to Phil and teachers? I, mean,
1: <laughs> um, I guess everybody and anybody would be able to report. Um, so that's what I've heard. There's also um, legislation I've heard about uh, around safe spaces which basically means you, you can't have a firearm outside of your home. What? Um, I think that would be, you know, what normally in an election year, you would see Democrats moderate. Um, what we've heard is they're not moderating and they're just moving forward with an extreme agenda. So we'll see how far that goes, but that is what we're hearing right now.
0: Rose, when do you guys get to know about these things? I mean, in this effort that they claim to want to have this bipartisan stuff as well, um, when do you get to see a draft of the bill so you can begin to formulate whatever your position is going to be?
1: Um, At this point, since those bills are not bipartisan and there has not seemed to be an effort to make them bipartisan, um, I I don't know that they could get Republican support, and I think they know that. As these bills are being introduced and assigned to committees, that's when we will see and know more and really be able to activate our grassroots network to make sure that they're participating and getting their voices heard.
0: So no chance at all that they could legitimately say, hey, we've spoken with all the stakeholders here and we've tried to come to some consensus. This is just we dominate the gold dome and suck it.
1: Um, I think on some of this legislation, definitely the more extreme that, Republicans will not support, I, I do believe they're just going to try to push those pieces
0: of legislation forward. Um, crazy stuff. What else uh, in terms of this session, you know, what we've seen in the past, you're right about the moderating thing, which I don't think they're going to do this year because there's nothing on the ballot for them to worry about, right? Like no statewide races to drag anyone down and all that. But what we tend to see is with about 15 seconds left, left on the clock, all of a sudden, a ton of the most controversial bills drop on us. Do you expect that again this session?
1: You know, what's interesting, and, and it's still yet to be seen. It's very early in session, so don't hold me to this. But it seems like maybe they're going to be bringing some of the more controversial bills earlier. What I don't know if that is if that means there are just more of them, and so it's going to take up the whole clock. Or if they really want to give um, more time for some of these conversations, still yet to be
0: seen. Are there tools that you guys have to either thwart or slow down the process? I can't imagine they're secret or anything, but you know back there was a time when it was like, please read the bills out loud. And even that they were like, we're going to put it on super speed with the computers and the court had to get involved. Do we have any other tools to at least give us time to to mount an opposition? Or is it like, no, we're just kind of here getting run over?
1: Well, we 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 showed last um, session, and I think we will continue this, especially as our caucus has really come together, Um, you know, an ability to be able to slow down legislation. We run amendments, Um, thoughtful amendments that would make bills better um, to the extent that some of these can be made better. Um, And so there are definitely negotiations on that. Obviously, we have a filibuster team, which will, you know, try to run down the clock as much as possible. I think that all of these strategies are on the table. And, um, you know, depending on what comes forward and where our caucus is, We will together determine a strategy that works best um, to protect the people of Colorado. There was a
0: there was a successful lawsuit forcing the Dem leadership into transparency in some of the votes and the wrangling that they were engaged in. I think Chris Hansen had sort of set up some sort of. I don't know if it was WhatsApp or Signal, but some sort of secret squirrel kind of communication system that Epps and Marshall came down on them on. Does any of that court ruling change the way that Republicans do business in the House?
1: Um, No, because we don't actually tell our members how to vote, nor do we um, (laughs) employ some of those methods. We are fiercely independent, um, which (laughs) I love. And so, no, we have never engaged in anything like
0: that. I would love to see, by the way, the response from Republicans in the caucus who are told, I mean, whether it's by you or anybody else, this is how you must vote. I mean, we are the party of iron sharpens iron. And sometimes to our own detriment, you know what I mean? Like, There's no chance you're going to tell people how to vote in secret or in public. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, Last questions for you before we let you get back to to doing the good work on behalf of the state. The three most controversial members that I can see uh, in the legislature are all Dems, by the way, but they include uh, Elizabeth Epps. Hamas celebrant Timmy Hernandez and crazy Bob Marshall out of my county, Douglas County, anything that you perceive going on with them already? Have they attempted to sort of tone it down in the interest of, hey, let's get things done? Or do they remain? And maybe it's just my perception, Rose. Maybe you don't feel this. Do they remain ongoing distractions from the work of the legislature?
1: It's still early, so uh, again, I don't hold me to any of this. Um, and Representative Epps has been remote um, since session started, so well, why is um, it's that? still early. Um, I'm not privy to that information, but um, she has been remote. She has not been in person on the on the floor of the house. And so, um, thus far, we haven't talked about legislation, but it's coming. Um, today will be the first day of really having legislation on the floor. Um, and so I. this is think, the first day. Um, I mean, we had like a couple of bills, but nothing super controversial. I think yeah, yeah. there's definitely some interesting um, bills coming forward today um, as we start, you know, kind of in the legislative process. And so I think there's always opportunities to see uh, what the Democrats bring forward. But thus far, um, as of, you know, this morning. Um, We haven't seen very much
2: of that yet. Oh, I I, I forgot
0: to ask you this one note I I overlooked, and that was, you know, the border crisis is not only real, but thanks to Greg Abbott down there in Texas shipping up some of what the federal government is letting happen into Denver, we're getting this renewed interest in actually trying to figure out what to do with 36,000 new migrants in Denver and elsewhere. Do you sense any legislation a-brewing from the other side, or is there anything the Republicans could can do to try to address this. And I'll tell you my concern. My concern is that Mike Johnson has already signaled Denver's overwhelmed. We can't house these people. We can't do this. We need our neighbors to take care of this. And given the legislature, the Democrat legislature's interest in wanting to take away more and more local control, and you are more acutely aware of that than probably anyone other than Kirk, Meyer, and Pelton, because of your role as a a commissioner... Anything out there that we ought to be keeping our ears open for by way of the Dems trying to to tell the rest of the state, hey, you guys are just going to have to absorb these people and provide for them?
1: We haven't heard anything. Obviously, as a caucus, um, that is a discussion that we need to have. But um, it's interesting, before a session started, I was on a Zoom, and I, I can't remember which Zoom it was, but a question around that came to the Democrats. Um, And, you know, they basically said, at least my impression of what they said was there was um, not going to be legislation moving forward this session around that issue. Um, But it's still yet to be seen. So um, still very early in session.
0: Very, very interesting. Uh, Minority Leader Rose Puglisi, thanks for taking time out of your morning to do this. Does this mean you have to leave the House earlier now?
1: Uh, no, I still leave at six o'clock. Uh, I just do a lot more work on the way up. <laughs> well,
0: thank you for what you're doing. Please keep us informed of the nuttiness that goes on so we can share it with listeners and maybe call them to do some action.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, George, for Take all care. you do. Bye now. Okay.
0: Hey, that's Rose Puglisi. She's the new minority leader. Um, I Just interesting stuff. I, I still feel like we're a bit on the front edge of a fog bank. Do you know what I mean? Like, This is John Carpenter's The Fog, where you know something bad is out there, but you can't see it, which means you can't really prepare for it. It's uh, yet to be seen, but I love the revelation that Elizabeth Epps has been only appearing in the legislature remotely. Is that cool can you do that and why why shouldn't taxpayers get to know why that is can you cast votes remotely in the legislature in the non-pandemic era does that make sense and frankly we ought to be doing that in congress if we're going to do that so we can keep those people out of the damn swamp keep them back here at home and they can have all of their meetings and discussions and and super secret stuff all uh all remotely we can set. i don't care if we set up a skiff in every congressman's home something to keep them here but that part was fascinating to me it's just interesting to hear that that rose says they're looking at expanding red flag my god what what's left what's left other than mandating red flag for all republicans i mean other than that automatic like it's de facto you have to prove if you're a republican That you should be able to have firearms. I I don't know. What did you hear there? I want to talk about the state of Colorado and what your expectations are for this legislative session. 303-696-1971. 303-696-1971. It's George Brocklin on The George Show. You're listening to 710 KNUS. Funky cold media is what it says up here on the thing. Do you see this, Billy? George Brockler on the George Show, 710 KUS. My thanks to uh, Minority Leader for the state uh, House Republicans, Rose Puglisi, for taking time out of her business morning to have a conversation with us. It just sounds like it's just so early. We can't really know everything that's going on. But I want to remind you that. Even with just the first few weeks of this session, there is some gong show stuff that's already taking place. And, and you know, my hope is to be able to um, have conversations with some of the people that uh, take a different position than I do. For instance, um, I had revealed, I think last week in our conversation, I had talked about the fact that there is a, a House bill. That is being offered that would create a special pathway to get your name changed if you're a convicted felon, but only a special pathway that exists if you change your gender identity. And uh, I'll tell you that over the weekend, I was contacted by one of the people spearheading that effort. Um, she was a defense attorney. No need to reveal the identity. I did invite her on the show. And said, I'd love to have the respectful conversation with you. And that's, by the way, something I think that the show has taken pride in, is that we get people from the other side of issues and the other side of the political parties to come on the air. And it's interesting, the response that we get. Some folks, they text in and they're like, I really appreciate the way, the respectful way in which you engage these folks. And even when you disagree and all that, and I, I like to hear that because that's my goal. But there are other folks who are like, why didn't you burn that mother to the ground? Why didn't you ask all of these questions and set fire to them and scorch them and blah, blah, blah. And the short answer is one, they're just, that's not good radio for me. That, that's some other radio show. I don't enjoy just hearing somebody try to tear someone apart. I enjoy the hard questions. But I'll give you an example. If you listened at all to that uh, 10 billion mules guy, Dinesh D'Souza, that came on the radio, he had a very uncomfortable experience during the interview because there were questions that he just couldn't answer. My guess is it was so uncomfortable. Dude, I ain't never coming back on. I'd love to interview that guy to talk to him about his latest documentary, Police State. He makes great movies. Their 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 research. I was going to say well-researched, but based on the the 8 trillion mules one. Um, it wasn't. I mean, some of the conclusions he made. And just to remind you, if you, don't, if you don't have the recollection of that interview from over a year ago, guy came on the air and said, well, you've got a whole bunch of people ballot harvesting. They grabbed up a bunch of ballots in excess of what the law permits, and that invalidates all of those ballots in every state in America. And I stopped him. I said, hang on. It one of many disagreements we had. And I said, hang on, hang on. That's not true in Colorado a voter isn't disenfranchised because the person they turn the ballot over to happens to grab up 10 more than they're entitled to. That doesn't make their vote not count. And then he's like, well, I don't know what the law is in Colorado. And I said, well, have you found that to be the law in any state in the union? And he didn't know the answer. And it was like, well, dude, you just can't come on the radio and make announcements and proclamations about what the law is had you having not researched it. So that was uncomfortable. And then I asked him, did you ever one time come across a ballot that was counted, that was fraudulently voted, like not voted in the will of the person who cast the ballot? And he said no. And so I do those things. But my guess is the result is Dinesh doesn't come back on. Why would you go there? Why would you go to a place where, you know, you had an uncomfortable experience? So for all these other interviews, whether it's on the left or the right, whether it's Mayor Mike Johnston or David Williams or anybody else in between. My goal is to get out good information, but to do it in a respectful enough way that these people will keep coming back. And to that end, Billy, do we have uh, Johnson coming on at all this week? Do we have any confirmation yet? Billy's going to check right now. So to that end, there's this bill that uh, would seek to allow folks. And I'm going to read you the quote here from House Bill 1071. Uh, Not this week. Come on. We got to figure out a way to get that dude on. Um, Allows. A judge, in fact tells a judge it is good cause to for a felon to change their name to conform with that convicted felon's gender identity so I had this attorney reach out to me and gave me a, it was a, it was a respectful but certainly an unhappy email and a couple things stuck out to me one is her perspective was informed by her clientele and she'd been a defense attorney and she was representing a bunch of people that were I think she had said club q survivors some of whom were convicted felons who something related to the club q experience being victims and I I couldn't figure out what it was yet and that's what I wanted to talk to her about some of something about that means well they should have been able to change their names because they're victims of club q and by the way they're convicted felons and they're transgender and I'm like I don't I don't understand what that means the uh the other piece of this though was that she had said that and I don't know if it's the fault of my column in the Gazette, but since the column in the Gazette, you know, she and others associated with this group that's spearheading this have received death threats and a bunch of ugly texts and, and emails and calls and whatnot. And um, so she expressed that she is a concerned for her family, and she was going to bring them to the Capitol. But now she's concerned. And, I, you know, my answer to that was I think that's wrong. I think where it's criminal, it ought to be prosecuted. you got to reveal to law enforcement there's no room in civil society for anything like that at all. If you say something someone disagrees with, people tell you that, and they hold you accountable for it. But you don't threaten someone, especially anonymously. I mean, that's what Twitter exists for, right? That's what X exists for. So you can be anonymous and say a bunch of hurtful, hateful things you'd never say in front of your boss or anyone else in your life because they would despise you. Um, but so I would said that and I said, look, just come on the radio. Let's have a conversation about this, because this House bill thing is it, it's it's unnecessary, in my opinion, without changing the entire process for all convicted felons. I just don't think you create a special exception for people for gender identity reasons. That doesn't make sense to me. But that's what's going on in the first few weeks of the legislature. And I think it's called Tiara's bill because one of the transgender, um, one of the transgender victims of Club Q was named Tiara. And this had something, I just don't know the backstory, but I hope she'll come on and we'll have the conversation. I also told you about House Bill 6, which was the Democrat-sponsored legislation that would take someone who was legally incompetent to be held accountable for their conduct because they can't understand what's going on in court or assist their attorneys, but they are competent enough to engage in a promise and a contract with the DA's office for purposes of a diversion program that's predicated on taking responsibility for your conduct. So that's out there already. Now I've started to hear like from people like Rose these some of these other bills. Well, there's another one that dropped and I want to do a deep dive on this. I just haven't been able to tear through it. But it's House Bill 241101. And it's offered up by um two house members Mabry and Snyder. Mabry is a claimed attorney who's like uh, one of these housing rights attorneys, which means if you're a renter and you just stop wanting to pay rent, this guy will fight to the death to keep you in that person's property without them getting the benefit of your contract with them called a lease. That's what this guy does for a living. Now, I'm sure he does it for people, too, that are being wrongfully evicted. But I'll tell you, in his heart of hearts, this guy believes that all evictions are wrongful and sees all property owners as deep pocketed rich people who are out there to exploit the working class by, I guess, suckering them into signing up for leases and then expecting them to actually honor those leases independent of things that happen in the economy, which is what you and I would know as reality in the American economy. And they think it's just absolutely upside down. So here's this bill it's called, (laughs) and it's such a fraud in terms of the title concerning empowering victims by enhancing access to restorative justice in criminal cases. You you read that and you're like, Oh my gosh, you're empowering victims. It's kind of fake, man. Uh, it, It looks like, it looks like this bill is a bit of a Trojan horse, and I want to do a deep dive on the language. It's a long bill. I mean, it's uh, 24 pages. And again, if you can't get what you need to get accomplished in less than 24 pages of a bill, maybe it's, maybe it's a little much for one title, but it, it could be okay. But here's what it says. In, in essence, this bill applies to any crime, misdemeanor, or felony within Title 18. And it provides for an opportunity for restorative justice, which is this sit down with the the offender and try to talk through, this is how it impacted me. And they get a chance to mouth, I'm so sorry, and all this other stuff. Now, there are cases where this thing has been successful. There are cases where it's appropriate. This bill would allow restorative justice in rape cases and domestic violence cases, in fact, any crime. It would mandate the opportunity for restorative justice here. Wow, incredibly dangerous. Um, there's a there's a provision in this thing for an accountability letter bank for convicted offenders, where the prison will send it to victims and survivors. What? You're going to allow convicted felons to send letters to victims. Now, keep in mind, this isn't a thing where the victims say, I want to be part of this. I'd love to hear from the person that raped me or murdered my son or other garbage like that. This isn't a place where you get to ask for it. No, you're presumed to be in it. And it looks like it's some sort of an opt out provision. You know, much like when you uh, are tricked into paying for park passes for everybody that uses them, even you don't, even though you don't, because when you go to register your vehicle, it's built into the registration fee unless you opt out. It's in the it's in the uh, it's in the fine print that they don't tell you about. You know what I'm talking about. This thing is crazy. There's no provision in here to make clear when a victim or survivor gets to opt out. Instead, it should be. Look at this. (laughs) Listen to this. This is just some of the language. It permits a victim to say, hey, man, I want to opt out of this at sentencing. But then that's not forever. It's not forever that they've opted out of this because the offender can keep coming back and saying, how about now? How about now? How about now? How about now? Can you imagine the traumatization of victims having to go through that? This is not about empowering victims. This is about empowering offenders. This is about trying to figure out a way to convince people to let prisoners out of prison earlier for the worst of the worst crimes. There are no exceptions to this. Rape a child? Restorative justice. Rape an adult? Restorative justice. Murder someone's son or daughter? Restorative justice. I'm sorry, If that had any value at all, it would 100% every single time, no exceptions, have to be driven by the victim. I don't give a crap if the convicted murderer, rapist, or whatever is interested in restorative justice. I don't care. Stay in prison. If the victim wants to pursue it, great. And even then, I'm not sure that that's good for them or the system. But let's at least begin with the truth that offenders should not be allowed to call their shot when it comes to trying to make amends with the people they victimized. You can start by saving your soul, asking for forgiveness from the great creator or whoever it is that you pray to or don't pray to. But this is just garbage. And to have an attorney, by the way, an attorney who has no concept of what the criminal justice system is, uh, an attorney whose sense of justice seems to be it's unfair for landlords and property owners to expect people to live up to their word because sometimes they run uh, into situations where they can't pay. That shouldn't be the end of them getting the benefit of the bargain. It should be the landowner that loses out on the benefit of the bargain. That's this guy. That's this guy. I don't know. I don't know the other person. Snyder, uh, presumably not a Republican. I'm certainly interested in that. This looks like language, by the way, uh, of bills that were previously offered by now out of office. I think he's out of office. Senator Pete Lee, I think he was termed out. Um, He may be out at the end of this session, but that's what this feels like to me, is that this is another attempt to try to force the criminal justice system to take another offender friendly and an offender focused look at itself. And aren't we tired of that, folks? Aren't you tired of bills that say, but what about the offender? What about the offender? Can't we figure out a way to get them out? Can't we give them three thousand dollars? Can't we let them send an unending number of letters to the people they victimized to try to get them to forgive them so that they can get out of prison and get that $3,000 earlier? (laughs) Folks, (laughs) this is on a verge of becoming an, an irrelevant criminal justice system. I should tell you, the goal of some of these folks on the left is to move away from any punishment at all, ever, never, ever. For almost all offenses, and instead move to a civil system of criminal justice, where it's you could just take the word justice and criminal out of it, just a civil system where people can be maybe fined. Although, if you know, if you don't make a million dollars a year, you don't ever have to pay back the fine, and that uh, we put you in rehabilitation only type environments. And gosh darn it, if you just keep reoffending, well, by golly, you're going to get more rehabilitation. And if you reoffend, we're going to do it again. You're going to have to go through rehabilitation for a long period of time before we put you in more rehabilitation. That's the goal of the left, this harm reduction garbage, where it makes sense to just we're just keeping addicts alive until they either overdose and we can't stop it. Or until they finally decide, you know what? Today's the day I stopped doing the fentanyl. Today's that day. I think I'm ready for a change. These people on the left don't understand human nature. They claim the moral high ground. They claim to be the ones that are interested in humanity. They don't understand human nature. And that's the great failing of that ideology. They look at the criminal justice system as broken because it dares to punish people who have done wrong. And in their minds, they're not the ones at fault for what they did wrong. So why are we punishing them? I mean, I, I'm going to go through this, Bill. I feel like I'm on this ridiculous rant. Now, listen, I, uh, I got to take a break here. One, because it's probably time to take that heart medication I have yet to be uh, to be offered. But give me a break. Here's a guy that gets it, by the way. Here's a guy that understands what justice is. His name is Dan Kaplis. He and Bobber Wahid, his partner, and the other attorneys that they have at uh, Dan Kaplis Law. These guys understand justice. And here's the bottom line for justice. When someone wrongs you, there's a price to be paid. Yes. Is an apology part of the process? You betcha. Is an apology enough? Never. When it comes to things like changing your life, when it comes to things like victimizing you and that victimization can take the form of criminal. That's for sure. That's what DAs are for, but it can also take the form of civil things. Somebody hurts you through their negligent or reckless conduct, even if there's a criminal case attached to it, criminal justice system can't give back what was taken. It can't pay you for all the things that you lost. Restitution, victim's compensation, those are teeny tiny drops in the bucket for someone who's lost a loved one to a drunk driver or someone who has been the victim of some other malfeasance or misfeasance. Well, Dan Kaplis knows how to get the rest of that justice. The criminal justice system can't provide you. And that's in the civil system. He's been doing it. He and Bobber have been doing it forever. If you're looking for someone that will fight for you until you tell them to stop, until you tell them you've gotten enough justice, it's Dan Kaplis. 303-770-5551. 303 770 5551 you can check them out at dancaplislaw.com. that's dan capless as always C-A-P-L-I-S, dot .com uh, interested to know what the hell you think is going on with this criminal justice system in this legislature here and do you support this we'll have a when i get through all of the 24 pages we'll have more of a deep dive conversation on this cuz there's studies and research out there about how bad this is but uh, what do you think about this restorative justice what role should this play in our criminal justice system, and should it apply to violent crimes like this Three zero three six nine six nineteen seventy one. going to cut away for a break uh, when we come back at the eight o 'clock hour, of course, at the top of the hour we 're going to be joined by Patty Calhoun. she is the uh, editor and inventor i don 't know if that 's the right word of westward that thing has been around since well the Gutenberg printing press, and in no way is that a comment on patty 's age. She is timeless. We'll get to her in the 8 o'clock hour. Give us a call now, 303-696-1971. George Brockler, 710 KNUS. George Brockler, back with you here, 710 KNUS. Normally, I wait for that, but it takes like 10 minutes to get there from here, and we just don't have it. In fact... We may only have enough time before Patty Calhoun joins us in the 8 o'clock hour to uh, ask Billy to share with us uh, a special event coming up here that uh, Billy, oh, I told Billy me. I was going to ask him about. <laughs> Sorry, man. Yeah. I, told yeah. I, was gonna, I didn't tell you <laughs> when. Yeah. No. But but I just, I gonna...
2: Yeah, I got to wish you a happy birthday to my mom. She's, she's uh, I'm not going to talk about age, but uh, it is her birthday today, so we're doing some very special stuff. Love you, Mom. Thank you so much. I uh, hope that I'm embarrassing you and that uh, friends of yours hear this and- and say uh, your son embarrassed you on the air. Just tell her I said something silly about her. But, yeah, it, it's a reminder to me about all of the dumb stuff that I did as a kid, and I really appreciate the fact that she did not uh, leave me in the woods um, for the wolves because she sure <laughs> had some opportunities, and there were moments in which I deserved it. Uh, you sound like you guys were Spartans. <laughs> no, but, the, but one of them was, I mean, I still remember the lovely retired teacher from across the, the street that comes over, and I'm probably maybe first grade or so, and she knocks on the front door and asks my mom, is your son supposed to be climbing around on the roof of the house and jumping off with a towel around his neck? She Holy didn't know.
0: Superman. She didn't know,
2: but that, that, those were the choices I was making. So, appreciate you, Mom. Thanks for keeping me alive. Well, buddy, I know, I know you.
0: you don't want to talk about age, but how old is she?
2: <laughs> I'm smarter than
0: that. <laughs> Listen, to happy birthday to Billy's mom. When we come back, it'll be Patty Calhoun getting us up to speed on all the good stuff going on in Denver. George Brockler, 710 KNUS.